Um, all right, we are in Colossians chapter 2. We're going to finish up Colossians 2 this week. Um, we're in the middle of a section, a little bit larger section, where Paul has given us most of the principles of Colossians and now is giving us instruction. And the instruction comes first in the form of uh, warnings as to what what we should not allow to happen and what we should be doing. When we get to chapter three, he's gonna get into much more specifics. Um, but if you remember, we got done with the uh, chapter two up to verse seven, and then in verse eight, just a second, verse six, excuse me, says, therefore, as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. And we've talked, we talked about that. That was the first instruction. And now we get some warnings. The first one is see to it in verse eight of chapter two, that no one takes you captive. And Paul mentions by philosophy, by empty deceit, sometimes those are put together, empty philosophy, human tradition, elemental spirits of the world. <clears throat> and then he's going to explain to us why that shouldn't happen. And basically the point is everything we have and everything we need is in Jesus Christ. Nothing that the world has to offer can do uh, anything like what Jesus Christ can do. Jesus Christ circumcises us. He cuts off the old man. He, he, he kills the old man. Uh, now, it's kind of like a zombie. It kind of keeps coming back, right? We, we have to keep, keep putting it off and we have to keep dealing with it. But, but in in terms of our position in Christ, it's dead. And then he talks about we're identified with Christ. That's something Christ did because we were in him. We were with him when he died and we died to sin with him. We were with him when he was buried. We were with him when he was raised again. And he took and he offered us his forgiveness um, by nailing our sins to the cross. And then at the end of it, it's like he triumphed over all of these other philosophies. So why are you wanting to go back to them? Um, now, I think that the main warning, see to it that no one takes you captive, is now fleshed out in the next few verses. Because there's three things that can take us captive that Paul lists. Listen, uh, lists. Now, crickets, okay. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, it's it's okay. <laughs> it happens to be in school. I come home on the weekend, I turn my phone on, and then I go to school and it rings, and then I'm embarrassed because the kids get their phone taken away when it rings, but <laughs> mine doesn't get taken away. Oh, it's the Bible? Oh, okay. I could take it away if I wanted to, Suzanne, but I'm not, not going to. Um, no, that was the high school teacher coming out of me. I'm, I'm sorry. Okay. Um, what he's going to do now is flesh out that warning. He's going to talk about the things that can take us captive. We're not talking about sin here as much as false ideas. All right. Sin takes us captive as well. But he's talking about some ideas. So if we start in verse, uh, verse 16, and we're going to read to the end of the passage it's going to list three things that can take us captive. Um, verse 16, therefore, let no one pass judgment on you in questions of food and drink 
with regard to a festival or a new moon or a Sabbath. These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Verse 18, let no one disqualify you, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with a growth that is from God. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. These have indeed an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, it seems to me that there are three things that are mentioned here. Uh, the first one, he says, let no one pass judgment on you. And he mentions legalism. Going back and enforcing certain rules in your life, <clears throat> no matter how godly they might seem, no matter how godly they're sourced, he's going back to the Old Testament, that are somehow going to make us more acceptable to God. That would be legalism. The second one, although it mentions asceticism, is mysticism. That there are things that we don't know and that you have to be initiated into um, for you to live a full Christian life. That's mysticism. And the third one is, although it's mentioned here, I think the, the main the main thrust of it is here, asceticism. Asceticism is treating your body harshly. It's uh, treating your body as if it's evil and placing upon yourself um, by, by the way you treat your own flesh that you make yourself somehow more spiritual. We don't have a big problem with this in our day and age for the most part, but throughout church history, there's been a lot of this. People who will um, do all sorts of things to their body to try and make themselves more spiritual. Yeah, um, there's still some of it. It's more in a Catholic tradition now, but some of the monks would have done that. There were men who castrated themselves because they felt that that would make them more godly. Um, there was a man um, known for wearing underneath his coat um, thorns and things underneath his clothes so that he was constantly in pain to help him be more spiritual and so that is a strain that runs through um, Christianity we don't deal with it too much but we'll get to that these are the three things that Paul is going to refer to now you're probably not going to deal with all three of them certainly not all at the same time but my guess is that all of us have a tendency towards some of them at some point so we're going to talk about those go ahead Matt Yeah. That would be asceticism. Yeah. Most of the time it's more personal where you're doing it to your own body to, um, to basically push your body down somehow to control your flesh through the, the pain that you're inflicting on it. 
egoism seems to be the biggest thing now. Is that uh, where, where does where does speaking the truth? There's a, there's a very narrow boundary between speaking the truth and legalism. I mean, we, we, what happens is when we say, you know, God says marriage is between a man and a woman, we get accused of legalism. Well, they can accuse all they want. That's not legalism. So okay, let's. Um, all right. Um, so let's begin um, verse eight. Uh, um, again, I can't see my little numbers there, but verse 18. Therefore, let no one pass judgment on you. Uh, the idea here is that people will be judging you. Um, it happens all the time. The, the, uh, you can't stop somebody from judging you, but you can uh, stop somebody from passing judgment on you that you accept. Right? So somebody comes along and says, you're doing this, that's wrong. Uh, you should be doing this or you're not doing this and you need to do that to be acceptable to God. If you allow that to have its, uh, to affect the way that you live, then that's the concern here. Uh, people are gonna pass judgment on you. <laughs> They're just gonna happen like Bernie, you just mentioned. People will do that. Let no one disqualify you or let no one pass judgment on you. And then it gives, uh, this is why we think Judaism was a part of this heresy. There's really no Jews, as far as we know, in Colossae, but they've pulled out the Old Testament. They have this sacred scripture, and they're pulling it out, and they're applying some of the things and saying, you need to do these things to be acceptable to God. And so the main things that are mentioned are food, drink, and with regard to a festival or new moon or a Sabbath. So we understand the Old Testament well enough. Lots of dietary laws, right? Uh, there were laws about what you could drink, but only if you were in a special class of people. Priests had certain rules about what they could drink. The common people didn't. Um, but then Nazarite or Nazarenes could only, uh, or people who had taken a Nazarite vow couldn't touch the fruit of the vine at all. Of course, they couldn't even touch raisins. They couldn't teach, touch anything that came, but they certainly couldn't drink wine. So there were laws for everybody. There were special laws for the higher class. And then there were certain things, priestly class. Then there were certain things that everybody was supposed to take part in. Festivals, new moons, Sabbaths. Um, of course, the Sabbath, we understand, the seventh day that was set apart for, by God, and that if you were Jewish, you kept. And by the way, you kept it on the seventh day right? You didn't move it because we were on vacation. So we worship on a, not worship, set that day. It was always the same day. Uh, new moons were sacrifices that took place at the first of every month on the new moon that were offered to God. And then, of course, there were the festivals. Anybody know the festivals? What festivals were there? Was that? Yeah, that one's not actually, that was a traditional festival. That's not in the um, old, te that's not in the law. That was something they did as a remembrance. Okay, uh, fest a feast of booths or tabernacles. It's not booths, it's booths. Feast of tabernacles. Um, what else? Trumpets. Trumpets. Passover. Feast of unleavened bread, the feast of weeks, okay? And, and what Paul says is you can go back and add that in, but you're missing something really important. All of those things were a shadow of what is to come. Um, he says that in verse 17. 
These are a shadow of the things to come, but the substance belongs to Christ. Um, Hebrews, which talks a lot about the relationship, how the new covenant is better than the old covenant. What we have in Christ is better, which is the key of Hebrews. If you go to Hebrews chapter 8, um, Paul, Paul, whoever the author of Hebrews is, um, I always say Paul, but I, I actually don't believe it's Paul, but that, that can cause problems too. Um, it says, verse chapter 8, verse 5, but let me read the whole part so you get it. He says, this is now the priestly system, which was also a shadow. Now the point in what we are saying is this. We have such a high priest, one who is seated at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in heaven, a minister in the holy places and the true tent the Lord set up, not man. For every high priest is appointed to offer gifts and sacrifices. Thus it is necessary for this priest also to have something to offer. Now, if he were on earth, he would not be a priest. Jesus would not be a priest at all, since these are priests who offer gifts according to the law. They serve a copy and shadow of the heavenly things. For when, and it goes on, for when Moses was able, about to erect the tent, he was instructed by God, see that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown you on the mountain. The, the picture there is that all of those sacrifices, everything in the Old Testament is pointing to the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. He's the substance, everything else is the shadow. Um, let's just do a little exercise. What, what shadow, by the way, shadow is kind of interesting, right? You can see the form, but nothing else. If there was a shadow of me on the wall, you could probably tell it was me. If you know me well enough, you couldn't see the expression on my face. You couldn't see the color of my clothes. You couldn't see uh, anything else. There's just a little bit there. So what shadows are cast by the Old Testament? Why did they have dietary laws? Well, okay, some of the foods were bad. There, there are health reasons, but, uh, but I don't think that's the main reason. I, I think that's um, a benefit to it that kept them from getting sick from a lot of the stuff they would have eaten makes them a separate people a holy people a different people well we are set aside people too right we are a holy nation a people for God's own possession but it's not because of what we eat but because of who we have partaken of right we celebrate the Lord's Supper we're a part of him he's a part of us that's what makes that um, what about Sabbath? Sabbath. How is the Sabbath in the Old Testament a shadow of what Christ does? Was that? Well, it does. Sabbath does point back to creation, but Sabbath at its core is that you were to take and rest. No, it would have been Sunday. We worship on Sunday because the Lord's day is the day the Lord rose on. That's why the Christians gathered on the first day of the week. Sa Saturday is the seventh, Sunday is the I first day. Had, I, someone had told me once that they, they had a different, like, Jewish, and I don't know if it's your Jewish calendar actually goes from Monday to Sunday instead of Sunday to Saturday. Uh, no, I believe, I believe they, 
the, but the day that Christ rose was on the first of the week and the Sabbath was always, doesn't matter whether the calendars are, are, have changed over the years, but seventh day is the last day. Sabbath was the seventh day when God rested. Christ rose on the first day. Tom. Yeah, we're looking, well, actually, not just the future rest, the rest that we have now in Christ. We rest in Jesus Christ. We have a, a Sabbath rest has been given to the people of God. We, we are not needing to do anything for our salvation. You can be perfectly at rest in Christ. The festivals all point to Jesus Christ, right? Everybody sees it at the Passover, right? <laughs> Jesus is the Passover lamb. Feast of unleavened bread, Paul talks about Christ, our Passover is sacrificed for us, therefore let us keep the feast. We keep the feast of unleavened bread all year long because the leaven represents sin. Feast of weeks was the first fruits. The one took place when you planted. Passover was planting time. The first fruits were the feast of weeks, which we call Pentecost. That's when the Holy Spirit came. The picture of the the, the Holy Spirit beginning his work in the, in the church. Feast of Trumpets is at the end of the harvest. That's we look forward to Christ returning. All of those things are a shadow. And Paul says, if you go back to any of those and say that those things help me be a better Christian, you've missed the whole point. Um, now, most of us would never be tempted to go back to those things, but legalism still defines people throughout the ages where you decide if I do this I'm a better believer if I don't do this it makes me more acceptable in God's eyes and we're simply substituting our own law with the law that God had given to his people don't let anybody judge you um, now some of you know Romans 14 which says that if you're doing something that somebody else um, uh, causes them to stumble, stop doing it. And if you're judging somebody because of what they're doing, stop doing it. And this seems to only take one side, but that's because this was a heresy that was coming into the church. And Paul is just making the statement, legalism, putting those things on yourself is not acceptable. So, Rod. This really is a, a real thin line of definition in, in, in looking at it. I mean, you gotta really understand the motive uh, of an individual, uh, and, and that probably is what distinguishes uh, observation of the, of the different rituals and so forth. Yeah, and there were some of, I'm sure at the time, that, that um, we know that some of the Jewish believers continued to meet on the Sabbath because they felt like that was something God had called them to do. Wouldn't be wrong to do that, it's the reason why we're doing right. it. Okay. Seventh-day Adventists. Yeah, and they get legalistic about it, and that's my real problem, is they get legalistic about it. If they want to worship on Saturday, let them worship on Saturday. It's when you start telling other people because you're not, and I don't know if they do. I've, the only Seventh-day Adventist I've known really well was one of the most wonderful people I've ever known and completely non-judgmental. So, um, and he held to the dietary laws. He would go into a restaurant and he would order a cheeseburger, hold the meat. And the people were like, what in the world? Because he didn't eat meat. So um, anyways, he said, I like all the other stuff. I just don't like the meat that's on there. So anyways, that was kind of a side. Anyways, um, we do have the other two I want to look at. This one we'll go through pretty quick. Any, any comments about legalism? 
I know we haven't spent a lot of time with it, but we've dealt with it before. If you go to Galatians, Galatians is a whole book dealing with that. Hebrews is a whole book dealing with the shadow of the Old Testament and the fulfillment that's in Jesus Christ. Isn't, isn't legalism a form of uh, idolism? Idol worship in a sense? Building an idol in your, in your life? Well, anything that takes God's place is an idol. So right. I, I, I would agree with that in, in principle. Yeah. Yes. And so, if, you know, if you look at the law as, a, as, a, as something that's difficult for you in regards to the moral law, then it, it, it has significantly worse implications than, than the, the mental legalistic mindset is, and of course, licentiousness on the other side, right? Yeah. Um, but it's, uh, you know, that when people are looking to, to be obedient and call other people to be obedient, usually in our in our day, they're called legalistic. Um, legalism typically is offense, right? Offense around the law is usually the way it's extra law, not God's law, but extra law. So I'm appealing to the word of God, it should be not legalistic, but obedient. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, let's, let's move on to the second one, which is mysticism. Um, this one's interesting because this one says, let no one disqualify you. Again, uh, the idea is that it's as if you've set somebody up to be your referee and they can call you out. They can disqualify you from the race. They can only do that if you allow them to. Because the only one who really can disqualify us is God, right? Nobody else. I don't have the right to disqualify you. But what's interesting is that it's spoken of in this way. Let no one disqualify you. And then it goes on to explain um, in what regard, insisting on asceticism and worship of angels, going on in details about visions, puffed up without reason by his sensuous mind and not holding um, fast to the head from whom the whole body nourished and knit together through its joints and ligaments grows with the growth that is from God. And so here, he mentions worship of angels, and he mentions uh, visions that people have, and um, th and that's it. Those two, but that these things somehow add to or uh, add to our Christian faith, and if you don't have them or if you don't accept those visions, or if you don't have them yourself, that somehow you're a lesser Christian, okay? Yeah, um, I, I grew up in Orange County in the 70s. That was the Jesus movement started there at Calvary Chapel, Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa. They had the, a really Christian music that was on the radio started at that point. And Chuck Smith was a wonderful Bible teacher, and in the evening they would have their afterglow service Sunday evening. And that kind of swept like wildfire through. And I remember the feeling of being uh, people trying to disqualify me. They actually were trying to qualify me, but the fact that I wasn't going for it made it disqualifying. Because what would happen is, uh, at that time, and I don't know if it's still out there, but it, what was said was that, yes, you're a believer, but you're missing something. What you're missing 
is baptism by the Holy Spirit. You're a Christian. We don't doubt that. You're going to heaven. Jesus is your Savior. But unless you are baptized by the Holy Spirit, you're a lesser Christian. And they talked about it as um, a second blessing. So you have your first blessing, everything's fine. You're going to heaven. But your Christian life will always be down here and ours is up here because we have had a second blessing. We've been baptized by the Holy Spirit. How do you know you've been baptized by the Holy Spirit? You speak in tongues. If you haven't spoken in tongues, then you aren't on the same plane that we are. Do you understand the disqualification that's taking place there? If I listen to them, I now am disqualified. I forever am at this lower plane of spirituality. And, and the question is, what is wrong with what they're doing? And, and Paul says it a couple of ways. In Colossians, he tells us, if you just go back to what he told us in Colossians 2, verse 9, for in him, in Christ, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily, and you have been filled in him who is the head of all rule and authority. We have been filled in Jesus Christ. We don't need anything else. We go back to, again, I know I go to it all the time, but Ephesians 1. Um, you've received every spiritual blessing in Christ. There's nothing more that Christ can, can be offered. So now all of a sudden there's something else that comes along. And by the way, over the course of my life, it's been all sorts of things. There's been holy laughter, where if you don't laugh hysterically out of control for a while, the Holy Spirit isn't working in you. Um, there was slain in the spirit, that if you don't find yourself being so overcome by the spirit that you simply collapse on the floor, something's not right. But see, all of those things are setting it up and saying you're disqualified. You're, you're second, you'll, you'll never be first place, you're second place, you're disqualified. And it's a danger, right? We, we face it and you're going to face it. Something new comes along every few years. I don't know what it is right now, but I'm sure it's something. So there's something that's out there that is saying, if you're not doing this, then you're at this lower level. Um, now, what's the problem with it? Well, it isn't just that it's extra biblical. Paul says that these people are puffed up by reason, by their sensuous mind, and they are not holding fast to the head. They have decided that something else needs to be added to Jesus Christ. And by doing that, they've let go of the head. That's an interesting idea. And because they've let go of the head, they are no longer growing. And if you join them, the same thing will happen. Um, that's the intent of that second part, from whom the whole body, nourished and knit together through its uh, joints and ligaments, grows with a growth that is from God. There may be appear to be growth in that mode of putting something else and saying something else is needed besides Christ. But if you've let go of Christ and you're holding on to something else, you're cut off from the source of growth. And by the way, I saw that play out in many of my friends who were above me spiritually, watching them completely abandon their faith because there was always somebody else who was higher than them. There was always some next level to attain to. Now I'd better be 
healing people. Now I'd better be having prophecies. Now I'd better be having visions. And they're not, and before long they say, that's it, I'm done. I can't compete anymore. They've been disqualified as well. I'm not saying that happens to all, but I just saw a lot of my friends move into that and then abandon their, their faith. They had been cut off from the head. And as a result, they were no longer growing. Okay, Matt? Even if that kind of stuff were true, it would pretty much be pointless when you think about it, wouldn't it? Because the lowest circle of heaven is still heaven. It's still far, far better than the highest circle of hell. Would there even be a point to any of that, even if it were true? Well, uh, now, see, now we're going to get into a whole... There, there is a reason to live a Christian life, and that's crowns and the um, Jesus talks about that store of treasures in heaven. Um, but the right way to do it is not through visions and, and other things that are added to Christ. It's by clinging to the head. Okay? By the way, Galatians speaks about this. You remember the first chapter of Galatians says, whether I or an angel of heaven came to you and preached any other gospel, what? Let them be accursed. In other words, Paul says, let's say that you were in your bedroom tonight and an actual angel came to you and told you this needs to be added to Christ for you to be full in him. That angel is accursed. That's an amazing statement. Um, Hebrews in the beginning, let's just look at that. Hebrews chapter one. This is long ago, at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, through whom he created the world. He, Jesus, the one that we cling to, is the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature and upholds the universe by the word of his power and goes on. But it's in these last days that his we have been spoken to by his son. Now, let me just, just say something here. Um, I, I think God can do whatever he wants whenever he wants to. Okay? I, I don't have any problem with that. I, if I hear somebody being miraculously healed, I don't automatically say, that's fake. Because God can heal people. And God can use people to do certain things. That, that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about somebody coming along and saying that unless you validate my, what I'm telling you is true, and unless you partake in it, somehow something is missing. See, the key of mysticism is that somebody knows more than you do. They have knowledge that you can't have, and you have to enter into their knowledge to be on their same plane. Nobody has any other access to more knowledge than you. Because you know what you have? You have God's word. And you have his Holy Spirit living within you. And by studying his word and obedience to him, you will grow spiritually. And that's clinging to the head. Everything else is, is a fool's errand. And everything else actually disqualifies you. You're actually allowing the people who are disqualified in a sense to disqualify you by getting you to join them. Okay? Any comments on the mysticism, Kirk? Well, I think again, the danger comes back to who, is, who are you trusting and getting forward? So, you know, you said you looked at your elders and they 
Yeah. Oh, I wasn't at Calvary Chapel, by the way. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. And there's obviously things that we haven't seen in the scripture, but it has to be out of the scripture. By the way, the thing that kept me from moving that way is I kept telling them, show me in the Bible where it says I have to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they couldn't do it. They went to some passages that could be interpreted that way. I said, wait, 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 wait. Show me where it is that says I need a second baptism. And they couldn't do it. And, and that kept me from going in that direction. But it, boy, it was hard to say no. I prayed to God that I would be able to speak in tongues. And, and, and it just never happened. Um, so, you know, it's like, but so I was right on that borderline. Yeah. You know, um, I, I think that part of knowing God, in fact, a huge part is our obedience to him. And, and there are some people, I wish it was all of us, I wish it was me, who are radically obedient to Christ. And I have no problem with them having a fuller understanding of who God is than, than I do. And it may be that some of their practices border on mysticism or asceticism. In fact, uh, we're gonna, if we get to the next little section, it talks about treating your body poorly. Um, well, Paul tells us that he disciplined his body. So Paul apparently had practices that he put into place to, to control his body, but it wasn't this type what he's talking about here. In other words, um, say you, you decide that the fine line is this, um, a, a person who is serious about following Christ is going to spend time in Bible study and prayer. It may be that knowing your own body and your own self, you actually have to set aside that time. And then that to the outside world might look like legalism, right? But I see the difference is they're not saying that everybody has to do Exactly. And, and they may say, I will not miss this time. I, it doesn't matter. I, I set aside this time for God. The problem is at some point you start to say, okay, the fact that I'm setting aside this time for God is what's making me acceptable to him. No, you're doing it because you know that you need time in God's word and time in prayer. I think that's what Paul was referring, referring to. So can somebody have more knowledge of God? Yeah, if they're more obedient than I am. And if they're obedient to the point of where they are almost um, otherworldly, maybe people started calling them Christian mystics because they were seemed to be at a higher plane, but they actually were just more obedient to Christ. That, that's the way I would understand yeah. it. <clears throat> one, uh, in 1 Corinthians 12, it talks about people maybe having one thing or another thing, even in, the, in regards to that time. So the idea that, that it would be one gift that needs to manifest is, is not only extra-biblical, but anti-biblical. Yeah. Um, it's against what the scripture teaches. 
Yeah. Um, the other thing is a lot of times they do what they call uh, in John, I think, 10, um, my sheep know my voice, and they will not go after. Um, people pursuing these things a lot of times are indicative of a false convert. Yeah. Um, and that's, that's the danger. The, the people that we see uh, doing and going after these things and going after these people are people that need to hear the gospel. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, I do want to finish this up because this last one I think is, is shorter. It's not one that um, most of us probably have too much trouble with, but it's the, um, although I think there is a strain of it, <coughs> and that is the asceticism, that we decide that we are going to do or not do certain things. And the point is to be hard on our body so that so that we are more spiritual is what it comes down to um, so oops I'm in Philippians uh, so the last one says if it doesn't actually say don't let anybody do this but he asks us a question if with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world why if you were still alive in the world do you submit to regulations do not handle do not taste do not touch referring to things that all perish as they are used, according to human precepts and teachings. Okay? Um, what are the elemental spirits of the world? What are the traditions of the world? Traditions of the world are that religion must cause you to impose rules upon yourself that somehow foster you to be more, to be better. That, that's the traditions of the world. That is earthly religion and Paul goes on to say these things have the appearance of wisdom um, <clears throat> and so the, 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 the principle of, of an unbiblical religion is if you do not handle you do not taste you do not touch you will be more spiritual um, it is a classic definition of a works-based religion um, I, I read a book a while back about a man who, I, I didn't know the end of the story, I just started reading it, but it was a man who was an agnostic Jew, grew up in an agnostic Jewish home, found his life to be completely empty after going through college. He was into the party scene, he was um, big into music and all the rest, and, and he, he met some Muslims, and they seemed to have this calm and this peace and something that he didn't have. And so he actually converted to Islam. Uh, it was interesting to me. They didn't care that he was a Jew. If you're, if you're gonna obey the prophet, you're fine. And he said it was very interesting because he went one step at a time. And one of the first things he had to give up was his music because they don't listen to music, not in the sect that he was part of. But he loved his music. But he finally got rid of his music and he realized, I can do that. And that was the phrase he kept using. Every step deeper, I can do this. And, and it, you began to realize that what he was doing was saying, if I do all of these things, then I get closer and closer to God. And he finally reached the point where he was fully immersed in Islam and realized he was still empty. And at that point, he converted to Christianity. I, and when I was reading the book, I didn't know that. I was like, he it was like when Paul becomes a Christian. It was like, wow, this guy's now a Christian. But, but there's freedom in Jesus Christ. Your, your relationship with God doesn't depend on what you taste and touch and, and refuse to handle. Now, 
Does that mean there are things that shouldn't be tasted and touched and handled? Well, of course. But, but the difference is this. Um, <clears throat> are, are the things that we set up as rules in our life, do they move us any closer to in, in terms of our relationship with God? And, and the answer is, is no. They don't have any power at suppressing sin. And that's, the end, that's kind of the ending part of that where it says, these have indeed an appearance of wisdom in provoking self-made religion and asceticism and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of the flesh. Um, I mentioned prof, or, uh, men, uh, famous Christian men, um, early church fathers, some of whom castrated themselves to be done with sexual temptation. Does that stop them from sinning? No. The only person who stops you from sinning is the fact that we are a child of God and we have his Holy Spirit. Um, uh, wearing something, like I said, that would, would be painful or doing something that is an imposition on the body, refusing to touch or taste certain things, none of those have any power to change us, only Jesus Christ. The interesting thing to me is that this verse was used in prohibition by the prohibitionists um, to say that the Bible said that you shouldn't drink alcohol. Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. They pulled it out of Colossians and used it out of context, whereas Paul was saying the exact opposite. Uh, the power of that is that we can let that happen. Now, I, I've told you guys this before. I came from a very straight-laced Christian home, and smoking and drinking were just not done, or dancing. And uh, when I was a little kid, if I saw somebody smoking, I knew that person was not a Christian. 100% sure. And that stays with me, because we went to a church where about half the people smoked in Visalia. A Christian Reformed Church. Smoking just isn't a big deal. And we're outside and people are smoking. It's like, what am I in, Satan's den here? No. <laughs> they, were, they were wonderful Christian people. They just had a habit that I didn't have. And you can do the same thing with all of those restrictions. We place them on ourselves and we assume everybody else has to. Now, there might be a really good reason not to smoke, right? In fact, I know there is. There could be really good reasons to choose not to drink. There could be good reasons to choose to drink. Dancing, I, you can take any one of those things, but the problem is when we impose them and we say, this will make me more spiritual, that that is flat out wrong. There's nothing that does that. In fact, you go back to that principle. It, it all comes from Christ. If you're filled in Christ, you have freedom. Now, Paul does talk, and I do want to end with this. Go back to 1 Corinthians chapter 9. And then we've done. I know we've gone a little late here. <clears throat> uh, oh, I'm in second. That's why. 1 Corinthians 9. Paul, at the end of uh, uh, t talking about himself, says, verse 24, Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? so run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercise self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. 
I do not box as one beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. That's the opposite side of this. There might be things that I say I don't do for the sake of the gospel, but those things don't make me spiritual. They simply allow me to be a better tool for God to use, and that's what Paul is saying here. So uh, the list of Colossians is going to flesh out some of these things, but these are the things to watch out for when it comes to the false things that the world will throw at you. Legalism, mysticism, asceticism. If I do certain things, I'm okay. If I don't do certain things, it makes me spiritual. If I know more than other people because of something out extra biblical, all of those things will take us away from, from our Lord and we will be cut off from the head. Any, any comments before we finish? Darla. The only, the only comment I would make on that was, it was very interesting because, again, I'm going back to when I was a child, and I do know some of those things, even though I, I, I outgrew those thoughts, they're still back in there, right? Uh, they just are. And some of you who are from my same background know exactly what I'm talking about. Um, what I also did was if I saw, as a child, somebody not smoking, I assumed that they were a believer. Seriously. Somebody didn't smoke and drink, they had the same outward appearance, then that made them a Christian. So everybody at church was fine. And yet I'm sure there were people there whose hearts were far away from God. And, and so uh, I understand what you're saying, but I think Paul is looking at it more from what makes me the most effective believer for Christ? I want to run the race well. If these things stop me from doing that, I push them aside. Not because it's, it's somehow improving my standing with God, but it makes me a better servant of his. And if, if doing these things cause me to be more like, uh, 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 allow the Holy Spirit to have freer reign in my life so that he can grow me more like Christ, then I, then I do these things. That should be the motivation for what things we don't do and what things we do do. Kirk. Yeah. And that's the philosophy of man again. They're trying to take their individual walk and then try to impose it down everyone else. Yeah. And that's vanity, you know. So um, yeah. different than self Yeah. It it is a again, it's that fine line. Uh, we don't live undisciplined lives. We we discipline our body for the cause of the gospel, but but that then easily gets entangled with this is what's making me spiritual rather than this is what's opening me up.
Okay. We have a couple more and then we have to quit. Well, the, the one of the reasons why it's so empty is because it's the, where the sin originates from in the first place. Uh, and just, just the first chapter of James, it comes from the heart. No, all, all these things I do to myself can't prevent anything because it's starting here. Yeah. And Jesus speaks of that when he talks about uh, yeah. wa- wa- all your external washings do absolutely no good. That's why it's, that was the shadow. All of the ritual cleansing, that was a shadow of the actual cleansing that's going to take place when Jesus Christ comes. Yeah, exactly. Okay, Rod. One, one other aspect of this is that a lot of times you may not be doing something because you want to attain something. You're doing it because you feel guilty that you're not doing it. There's a level of guilt that gets imposed upon you. Yeah. Now that's a whole nother can of worms. I don't know if we have, we have time for that. Okay. All right. Let's, let's close in prayer.